Okay, my name's Danae. Um, I go to the Adams Community Group, and I'm going to read Mark 7, 31 through 37 this morning. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went to, through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought, him to, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephethus, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged uh, them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished by beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Danae. Good reading of the Aramaic there. I knew you could do it. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. If you're a guest, thank you for, for being with us this morning. There's a connect card under your chair if you want to take a minute and fill that out. On the back side, there are, there's a space for you to write down prayer requests if you have any. Uh, that card exists. We're not going to call and text all hours of the day or night. Uh, that card is there just so we can um, see how we can serve you as a church, see if you want to get connected to the life of the body and how we can make that happen. It's really good to be with you. We're back in our walk through Mark. So let's take a second and review the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus having yet another encounter with the religious leaders of the day. And those guys, yet again, show that they have completely missed the point of the law. They completely missed the point of the Old Testament prophets and completely missed the heart of God in the process. They've used their own traditions, their own uh, religious um, preferences to bypass the law, to elevate themselves in order to maintain their control on the Jewish nation. And Jesus shows up and has another confrontation with these guys, and he confronts them in, the, in their hypocrisy. He calls them hypocrites. He's essentially saying to them, you cannot use the scriptures as a license to sin. The same is true for us today. You cannot use the grace of Jesus. You can't use the cross of Christ in order to do whatever it is that you want to do. If the cross and the resurrection does not move you to love for Jesus, if the cross and resurrection doesn't move you to worship Jesus, if the cross and resurrection doesn't move you to love Christ and his church and those who are far from God, then you don't understand just how sinful you are. You don't understand what it is you have been saved from. So last week, after this encounter, we saw Jesus withdraw with his disciples to a Gentile region, uh, Tyre and Sidon, to get away from the crowds. But his popularity is like at an all-time high. He cannot be hidden. And he's approached by this Gentile woman whose daughter is oppressed by a demon. And it seems like when she asks Jesus to heal her daughter, that Jesus kind of, you know, like, schluffs her off. Uh, that's not at all what's happening. 
it appears that Jesus is testing her faith. And her reply to him demonstrates just how deep her faith in God is. Her reply to her demonstrates that she knows that God can and will help her daughter. And Jesus says, her faith in him has made her daughter well, and the demon leaves her daughter. So what's important for us to know and understand is that because of the cross, salvation isn't reserved for Jewish peoples alone. God will redeem for himself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue on the face of the earth. And we're seeing the kingdom of God expanding from a primarily Jewish-focused religion to a nations-focused emphasis. And that's important for us. Because of the cross, because through the cross and resurrection, we now have access to approach God in bold faith and in bold dependency and submit our requests to him. Because of the blood of Jesus, man, the cross speaks a better word on our behalf. And the cross is speaking a better word over our life than our sin is. God is pleased to give his children everything they need in him. So the purpose of Jesus healing this, this woman's daughter, the purpose of Jesus speaking to her in the way that might be received as indifferent or even chauvinistic was not to belittle her, but to perfect her faith and also to perfect the faith of his disciples. So the point isn't the miracle, even though the miracle is awesome, right? The point isn't miracles, but that we would rightly see who Jesus is. And this Gentile woman has a higher view of God than those who would claim to know God the best. She has a higher faith than the Pharisees. And today, we're going to see a little more of the same. The question that you need to wrestle with this morning, and honestly, every time we open the scriptures, is this. What do I believe about Jesus? Who is this Jesus? So I'd ask you today to really consider who Jesus is in your own heart and in your life. I mean, you have a few limited options. He is either everything to you, or he is nothing. You can't be halfway here. You can't see the miracles. You can't see the cross. You can't see the resurrection. You can't see the ascension of Jesus, and it have no impact on your life. You can't claim to be a Christian and then not live in obedience to Jesus. Look, there's a lot of grace for you meaning you can't sin more than God is able to forgive, right? But if you are willingly walking in ongoing, willful, unrepentant sin, that's a problem. Jesus Christ went to the cross to save and redeem. So you can either believe that fully and have it impact the totality of your life, or you can live in disobedience or indifference and reject that sacrifice but there's really no other option. When I was in high school, I need to be careful, my mom's here today. When I was in high school, uh, I cared a lot about school. No, hold, but not the, you didn't let me finish, not the academic portion of school. 
I really just wanted to pass my classes and then excel in all the social aspects of, of high school. Like, I look back and think, man, if I'd have tried just a little harder in the classroom, like just a little bit, like if I'd have done any homework at all, I may not have had to go to junior college for a year to get accepted into a real four-year college. <laughs> I want to submit this to you. You can't treat following Christ this way. You can't do just enough. You can't check all the boxes and have no real tangible relationship with Jesus. That's religion. Religion doesn't save you. Only faith in Christ alone. Faith that he died for our sins, was resurrected, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us. Only that will suffice. So our text today provides a framework for us to know that Christ is wanting more from us than to just heal us. He wants more from us than looking like we have it all together when our hearts are far from him. He wants all of us, and that includes our faith, and that includes our obedience. So let's pray. Let's jump into this text this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, show us our need for you. Lord, I pray for the person in this room this morning whose heart is far from you. Lord, the person that is walking in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin and is aware of it. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bring conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, I pray for the indifferent or the religious in here this morning, Lord, that you would show them that no amount of good moral living, no amount of righteousness apart from your finished work on the cross is sufficient to save our souls. Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed this morning. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Mark 30, or I'm sorry, Mark 7, beginning in verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So much like last week, we see Jesus in a predominantly Gentile region. This is near the same region where... We saw Jesus cast out a legion of demons a few chapters back in chapter 5. If you remember that, after Jesus cast the demons out of the man, the former demoniac asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, can I go with you guys? Can I go with you and your disciples, please? And Jesus tells him no. But rather, Jesus commissions this man to go through the Decapolis, Decapolis meaning ten cities, so to go to this region with ten cities and tell them about the goodness of God to him. So this man, this former demon-possessed guy, becomes essentially the first missionary to this region. And Jesus is there again today in our text to continue his ministry to the Gentiles. To quote from our text last week, more dogs are about to receive the crumbs. Jesus, with his eye on this encounter that he's about to have, 
had previously left this region with a witness to God's love and work. This region has been prepared for the Messiah to come, even to the Gentiles. So when they get to this region of the Decapolis, again, the popularity of Jesus is like at an all-time high. A crowd has gathered around him yet again, and these people, the text says, they bring a man who was deaf and who couldn't speak. He either couldn't talk or he struggled to talk. And they asked Jesus just to, Jesus, just put your hands on him, just touch him. There's no expectation, it would appear, that Jesus is going to heal this, this guy. Um, but it seems like they just want to have the blessing of Christ touching their friend. This they're about to receive and much more. Much like the Syrophoenician woman in last week's text, this man's friends are persistent to ask Jesus for what they needed. And Jesus is about to answer this in a much more grander and fuller way than they ever expected. Verse 33, it says, Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. His ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus and his actions are demonstrating like a level of compassion and attention and care that we should take note of. Man, we often get so consumed with the busyness of our own lives. We often get so narrowly focused on our own stuff that we miss opportunities to love people the way that Jesus loves people. As Christians, Christ is first and foremost our Savior. But in the same vein, because Christ is our Savior, because Christ is our Lord, we get to follow his example. Christ, who could have dismissed this man because of how busy Jesus was, Because he withdrew to this region for what appears to be rest and relaxation with his disciples. Yet again shows he is never too busy to meet with people and to meet the needs of people. Listen to me for a second. If you are too busy for the things of Christ, you are too busy. Christ is never dismissive of people. Christ is never in a hurry. Christ is never preoccupied with anything other than the glory of God. Man, and because of this, we can take comfort that God is never dismissive of us either. Christ is not too busy for you. Christ is pleased with you because if you're a believer in Jesus, you are his child. And he wants you to come. He wants you to come to him in the same posture as the Syrophoenician woman and the deaf and mute guy. So Jesus pulls this man away from the crowd, and he does something incredibly compassionate. What we see in this interaction is the equivalent of like sign language of the first century. Jesus could have easily healed the man with a word or with a touch, or as we saw last week, from a distance, right? But he doesn't do that. Sinclair Ferguson says, This man could not hear Jesus, and he was also incapable of verbal communication. So Jesus spoke to him in the language he could understand, sign language. 
The fingers he placed in his ears and then removed meant, I'm going to remove the blockage in your hearing. The spitting and the touching of the man's tongue meant, I am going to remove the blockage in your mouth. The glance up to heaven meant, it is God alone who is able to do this for you. Jesus wanted the man to understand that it was not magic, but God's grace that healed him. And Jesus also let out a sigh. This isn't a sigh of annoyance, like, I'm, I can't believe you're coming to me. I got another thing to do. Like, Jesus isn't annoyed with this guy. It's a sigh of sympathy. John Calvin says that Jesus is taking this man's condition to heart. This is a sigh of sadness from Jesus. Things are not as they should be, right? This man's condition is a result of a fallen and broken and sinful world. And Jesus is saddened and grieved by that. But Jesus is also in the business of making all things new. And look, this man was able to hear and speak immediately as a result of his encounter with Jesus. The original Greek manuscripts say the shackles fell off of his tongue. The captive has been set free. The chains of a prisoner have fallen off. And look at the response. Verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Does it seem weird to anybody else that Jesus keeps telling people not to say anything? Just me? Cool. Um... Like, if the mission of Jesus is to proclaim salvation to the entire world, wouldn't it seem like a good idea to have people share what they know, share what they experience? This is like the fifth or sixth time in the Gospel of Mark, and we're only in chapter 7, that Jesus has given this command. This man who had previously been unable, unable to hear or speak... To all of a sudden be able to hear and speak, it would seem like an almost impossible task to not say anything to anyone about it, right? And why does Jesus allow some people to go and share and not others? I think there are a few possible explanations I want to explore. Jesus is nearing his end of his ministry. Jesus is nearing the end of his time on earth. The cross is before him. The reason that Jesus came at all was to die. Jesus is coming to rule and reign, but not in an earthly political sense, but in a spiritual sense first. There is a throne that awaits him, but first the cross. There are people willing to follow Jesus, but first comes betrayal. Jesus was not going to allow a riot or a frenzied crowd to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus didn't come to lead a rebellion. He came to turn enemies into friends. He came to make the dead alive again in Christ. So this is a long quote from John MacArthur, but I like it and I want to share it with you. He's referencing the differences between the demon-possessed guy with the legion of demons in Mark chapter 5, who Jesus then commissioned to go and tell people about what, what he'd done. And now several months later, or possibly a year or so later, he forbids this former deaf and mute guy to say anything. Why? John MacArthur says, Jesus is saying, 
Don't spread the message that I'm a healer and a miracle worker. That's not the whole story. It would be like you having one part of the gospel story that Jesus was born of a virgin, came into the world, did miracles, healed people, and preached the kingdom of God. And that's the story. That's not the story because it doesn't include what? It doesn't include the cross and it doesn't include the resurrection. That's the full story. So he says this again. Now in Luke 19, 18, he was praying alone. His disciples were with him. He questioned them saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others you're one of the prophets of old who has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. And they all agreed. They all affirmed that he's the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them, don't tell anybody. What? Don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ of God. Don't tell everybody that I'm a miracle worker and a healer. Why? Verse 22, the Son of God must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, be raised on the third day. The story's not complete until the crucifixion and the resurrection. After that, he gets them all together and he says, go into the world and preach this to everybody. You have to have the full story. What we're going to see as our walk through Mark continues is Jesus is going to begin placing a lot more heavy emphasis on the spiritual rather than the miraculous. He is not here as a miracle worker. He's here as a savior. Jesus' miracles always, always, always point back to the Father. So Jesus tells them to keep quiet about it. Uh, any parents in here or teachers in here ever employ the trick of reverse psychology? My kids are in here. I'm about to sh- shed some light on this. Um, I personally hate this tactic. I mean, it works, I guess, if your goal is like task completion. Like, if you want your kid to do something and they don't want to do it, you say, like, hey, you better not clean your room. And then all of a sudden they go and do it. Jesus isn't doing this. Jesus wants and deserves our obedience. He isn't telling these dudes, hey, don't tell anybody. So they'll go and tell. No. He's telling them to keep quiet. And he expects them to do so. And these men, right, men, not kids, not man boys, they're actually adult men. They cannot keep quiet. And look, I can sympathize with them, right? They have experienced something life-changing. And if you're this former deaf guy who couldn't speak, and now you're experiencing freedom, you'd want to exercise that to the nth degree, right? But Jesus, God in flesh, has given you a command. And you didn't follow it. Even their admiration for Jesus doesn't excuse their blatant disobedience for his, for his command. What our text shows us today, it takes more than admiration and enthusiasm to be a true follower of Christ. Many Christ admirers are lost. Admiration of Jesus doesn't lead to love and devotion for Jesus. 
The true mark of discipleship is revealed in Christ's words in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you want to know if you love Jesus, consider your life. Take a look at your life. I want to be really careful here because when you take a look at your life and you see your sin, it can easily lead to a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation, and those things are not of the Lord. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. But if your heart is not ever inclined towards obedience, if in the grace of God, God is revealing sin in your life that you're unwilling to confess and repent of, man, that's an issue. I want to remind you that you are more sinful than you probably even realize. But what the Christ shows us is that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. Man, Christ is worthy, church. He is worthy of your affection. He's worthy of your admiration. And because of that, he is also worthy of your obedience and your worship and your whole life. In the sovereignty of God, and remember, Jesus is God. Nothing. Usually you go, hey, uh, I, I gave you a point and nothing. Here, let's, let's try that again. In the sovereignty of God, and remember, Jesus is God. Thanks. Uh, he knew these men would disobey him, and he was still pleased to act on their behalf. And without knowing for certain the state of the souls of these men, based on what I believe to be true about the purpose of miracles, I am confident that Christ's grace is sufficient for the disobedience of this guy and his friends. Because Christ's grace is sufficient even today for my disobedience. In the sovereignty of God, and remember, Jesus is God. He knew, Jesus knew that when left to ourselves, we would choose our sin over him. And yet, he was still gracious to us by becoming sin, so that in him we could become God's righteousness. These men are right in their proclamation that Jesus does indeed do all things well. This is calling us to remember all the way back to creation in Genesis 1, where God looked on all that he had done and said, man, this is very good. Jesus is the fulfillment of what was written about the Messiah several hundred years prior to this event taking place because Jesus is the Messiah, the Redeemer of the nations, and the Savior of the world. Through the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the kingdom of God is here on earth, and Jesus will be rejected by men, crucified on a sinner's cross, raised to life, through the ascension, and through the ascension, he's now seated with God in the heavenly places, and he will return again to redeem and restore all things. We talk about this in our membership class, um, shameless plug to join. If you're not a member, we will have a class in a couple weeks. We talk about this God-man-Christ response. God created the earth and everything in it, and it was perfect in his inception. 
Man sinned and chaos ensues. Death has entered the world through one man, and because of this, now all men are cut off and in need of a Savior. Christ comes to the earth through the miraculous virgin birth as a baby, taking on the form of a servant, becoming death for us to reconcile us back to God. And now we respond. Man, you can be a Christ admirer if you want to be, knowing what you know, knowing what you've seen and heard and experienced. Does Christ still have no bearing on your life? Or you can be a Christ follower. You can repent of your sins. You can turn back to Christ. And you can respond in love and devotion to God who wants your life. Who wants to give you a new heart and redeem your sinful condition. Amen, brother. Christ is not in the business of doing miracles that have no redeeming work. So, if you're wanting Christ to fix your life, but you have no interest in following Christ, you may be on a futile mission. Instead, Christ delights in giving us what we need the most. That's himself. Will you trust him to redeem your life and follow him regardless of your circumstances? Regardless of how bad you think you are or how bad the things you think you've done are or how bad you think your life is, Christ knew all of this and still went to the cross for you. I also want to add this. You can't be good enough on your own. You can't be good enough to earn God's favor. No amount of good moral deeds will justify you before a holy and just and righteous God. We all need the cross to cover our sin and shame. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ went to the cross, and that has completely leveled the playing field. Grace and forgiveness are available for everyone whose faith is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So you can repent and believe that Jesus is better. Let's pray.